didn't think that uh, the Leafs could do anything <laughs> during a couple of days off that was going to steal thunder from the Toronto Raptors home opener, season opener. Um, there used to be, I can't remember, I think it was TFC. Yeah, it was definitely TFC. TFC used to have this thing where their fans would cry conspiracy because the Raptors and the Leafs would always release something whenever they would have something big. Joe, you know what I'm talking about? You're a big TFC guy, right? I am, yeah. yeah. And Pete, yeah, you a TFC guy? True. No, not a TFC guy? I, I want to be more of a TFC guy. I just It's hard to fit in a schedule, honestly. Like I really want to be more of a TFC guy. I was supposed to go to a game this year, and right before I go to my first game, boom, COVID. I'm cursed. I'm cursed with TFC. My relationship with them is just tortured. But they used to have that conspiracy, right, where whenever something big would happen, something the Leafs would sign somebody or, like, they would have something across from them that would go and steal the thunder, right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably how the Toronto Raptors feel after yesterday. They get this awesome win, right, against Cleveland, a team that I'm going to talk about with Joe Cacharo in a couple of minutes. Like This is going to be quick. I'm going to get into Raptors, and then we'll do Leafs again at 10 o'clock with uh, Frank Saravelli. So two guests today on the pod. Fun Raptors win. Exciting game. Siakam looks good. They have some good defensive rebounding. We get to see Coloco. He's in there right away, making some impact, like looking a little bit more seasoned than I would have expected him to, right? Scotty Barnes essentially walks it off with a beauty dime. Fun night. Fun night. Precious Achua scared of fireworks that we learned. <laughs> this poor guy <laughs> got spooked. It is spooky season. It is spooky season, everybody out there. But I didn't expect the Raptors game to start with, yeah, Precious just getting scared. Um, but the Leafs, oh, my God, the Leafs. Okay, so I had a tweet yesterday that blew up, and there were a lot of crybabies in the tweet, and but a lot of people agreeing, right? A lot of me's versus a lot of Pete's, basically, is what I'm talking about over here. It's like a lot of people who are going, yeah, Leafs culture is, is not what we expect from good organizations and a lot of people blaming the media. So let's all listen to the Sheldon Keefe quote together because for those of you that missed it after the Arizona Coyotes game, again, a contest in which the Leafs lost to a team that is playing in an arena that holds 5,000 fans, is openly tanking, and who the Leafs were minus 500 favorites against in their home, on their home ice. Sheldon Keefe, after the game, said that the difference between the two teams is that his group has star players, and they didn't play like that that night. Which, we can find possession metrics, I guess, that indicate the Leafs were better than Arizona. Congratulations to them on those awesome possession metrics. But anybody who's ever watched hockey for more than five minutes knows that the Leafs didn't give a very good effort that night. And this is a team that isn't supposed to be driven by David Kampf and Zach Aston Reese. It's supposed to be driven by its four stars who's supposed to set the tone on any given night. And so to lose to the Arizona Coyotes, and in most sports organizations, when you have a failing like this, you move past it because it's a long season and there's a short news cycle. But... Usually your best players take the blame. Usually the people at the forefront take the blame unless there's something aggressive, like a huge mistake, right? That costs you a victory. Like a kicker misses a, a chip shot field goal, right? Th those are the ones that you think about. So 
after he says this about the stars, out of like what seemed to be like, was this a story? I, I got to ask this to Frank because I don't think that anybody in this market actually cared. I, I like, I do a show here. I talk on the regular with people around that team, like constantly. I do a post-game show for the Leafs. Can I tell you that that comment that Keith made after the game was nothing? It was already gone. It was not a discussion topic. It wasn't something people were texting about. It wasn't like, oh, um, I wonder what everyone's going to have to say today about Keith's bullet that he used, saying that his best players didn't play like his best players in a game where they lost to a far inferior team. So here was Sheldon Keefe yesterday, and these are the comments that he made. I'm play the full clip of it so that it has all the context for everyone that's so afraid of the manipulative media that, for whatever reason, is trying to distort your minds into hating the Toronto Maple Leafs, despite, you know, the media in this country being uh, directly associated with their success uh, and their success. Let's roll it. To discuss and... I guess I'm, I'm glad I did it because they didn't know what I was talking about. Um, so it helped them prepare to deal with you guys today. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, regular check-in with the guys, but that was on the list to discuss. And I, I, I used some of the wrong words to, to try to, you know, describe what I was trying to describe, which is that in the difference in the game, I find it's just we weren't able to produce, you know, whether it's power player five on five. And... Uh, that's that's really the difference you know, with all the puck time we had and everything like that. But by by no means was I meaning anything anything beyond that, which is what I wanted them to be to be sure of. And as it turned out, I didn't know what I was talking about. But um, which is a good thing. But um, at the same time, important that that they know where I was coming from. Mm. So <laughs> there's a couple things here. To me, this is. In a lot of ways, it can be a Rorschach test for the ways that you view the Leafs, right? Like, we can all put our own spin on things. This is like, some people view Sheldon Keefe's quote as art. Like, this is what I think his intention was. The artist's intention was this. We can debate and discuss and relitigate all of these different words. Here's what I can tell you. Going in and saying, I used the wrong words... And then basically walking back a pretty mild comment about your group after they lost to the Arizona Coyotes again in year seven. This isn't year two, right? The Leafs aren't babies anymore. This is a, one of the oldest actual rosters in hockey now. This is a group that's supposed to be contending for a Stanley Cup. And their coach kind of innocuously said that he didn't think that the Stars were good enough. Again, in a game where they didn't produce enough against the Arizona Coyotes, a team that everyone else had beaten the brakes off of all season long. Sheldon Keefe felt that it was important for him to go to his group and tell them that he used the wrong words. We have all been in relationships before where... You feel you fear telling the truth. Where you have to walk on eggshells around somebody. Where you just can't be direct. You know, you've got to tell someone a certain way in order to approach them. It's been a boss. It's been a, a colleague. It's been a partner. It's been a friend. And usually those relationships are doomed to fail. 
Because being honest, direct is important with the people that you're closest to. And my interpretation of this is that Sheldon Keefe is walking on eggshells around these guys. That he cannot be honest and direct. He can't have a fiery moment. He needs to make sure that those guys in that room feel like he doesn't blame them. That he's not angry with them. That he has to change who he is to fit what they need. He was humiliated yesterday. He was humiliated for telling the truth. And that sucks. And that's a toxic relationship. And read into what you will. But to me, that's a bad culture. If you have a culture where your head coach has to go apologize for the wrong words to the media about your star players dogging it, I don't think that you have much of a culture at all. And it reflects everything back to what we've seen with the Leafs over the last couple of years, which is that this can be an overly sensitive group. And you can say it's the market and cry about the market all you want and how it's like, oh, the market, it's just in the market. You guys want to create drama. No one was looking to create this story. Absolutely no one was. Why is it that the Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0? and That seems like a pretty hard market. Have you ever read a New York newspaper? Have any of you ever looked at it? Those of you that are in the, oh my God, the market, the market. This market is soft in comparison to many of its counterparts in many other sports. It's just, that's just facts. Like, Joe, you follow soccer. You think that this is tame or this is something that in a soccer tabloid would be viewed as something like, oh my God, what, what, sorry, what's happening here? Like, this is not a market issue. This is a Toronto Maple Leafs team, culture, coaching, player issue. And for it to crop up four days, four games into the season is embarrassing. For Mitch Marner to come out once again, a guy who has always had difficulty dealing with the media for whatever reason, always for some reason is slouched and, and upset and has horrific body language, for him to basically throw his coach under the bus is embarrassing for four games in. So, yeah, um, I do think that this is something. And no, I don't think that this is purely a media story. Um, I think that there's lots of other things to talk about, like the Toronto Raptors, a team with a winning culture, a team that showed it again last night um, with a, a fun win against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to dial it down. I'm going to try to get less heated. I'm just so tired of the media stuff. And I'm so tired of this team <laughs> acting this way and then pointing the fingers and blaming everybody else. Uh, Joe Cacharo, senior writer for The Score. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Good morning. Sorry. I mean, look, I, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you, a coach in a pro sports league who, if he has to call out a player on his team, would never have to apologize for it, and that's Nick Nurse. Uh, yeah, guy sent Siakam almost packing. <laughs> you know, sends him back to uh, like benches him, gets him out. That they, they, by the way, they keep it in house much better than anybody else does. They don't just uh, yeah. offer it up like the Leafs did yesterday. Like I started the show with. Leafs, no one was even asking about that quote. Like, it was just gone. They just lost the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. People were like, yeah, keep it moving. And then they're going, hey, we just want to let everyone know we're sorry for the wrong words that we used. <laughs> you go, why do you, yeah. do you guys do this to yourselves? And it's pretty but outrageous. It's unbelievable. I know. Um, anyway, so Raptors opener, uh, six yeah. guys in double digits. Siakam with some just awesome mid-range game that he flashed in the postseason last year, which I absolutely loved. Um, did anything surprise you on opening night? Like, let's just start with some, some first impressions from the season. All right. I'll go a bit, um, maybe with a deep cut here and say the, perhaps the most surprising thing, and it's on a team level, not on an individual level. And maybe the most encouraging thing again, on a team level was the Raptors defensive rebounding. And here's what I mean by that. So 
last season, that was one of their – I mean, I'd say it was one of their few major weaknesses. They had some weaknesses, but they didn't have many major weaknesses. The half-court offensive creation was a major one, obviously, and I'd say the defensive rebounding was because their defense did get better as the year went on, and it did start to live up to expectations as last season went on. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they never really did well last season was finish defensive possessions by actually grabbing the rebound because they were a smaller team, right, like height-wise. Uh, they they looked better doing it in the preseason. And then in the first game of the regular season against a huge Cavs team where you think, you know, the Raptors might struggle against that front line collecting defensive rebounds. The Raptors posted a, a in-game defensive rebound rate of 82.9%. So to give people an idea, the league average last year was 76.8. And the Raptors last year were at 71.4, which was 23rd league-wide and 14th out of the 16 teams that made the playoffs. So for them to post the kind of gaudy defensive rebounding numbers they posted last night against a huge team to have Pascal Siakam talking after the game about how that's something Nick Nurse has been on him about is becoming an even better rebounder. Again, one game, obviously, you know, you don't want to get too carried away, but it it was very encouraging given the opponent, given the fact that it also looked better during the preseason, given what Siakam is saying. And look, if one of their weaknesses has been or can be addressed simply by internal improvement and, and, you know, more attention to detail internally, that's a pretty big, you know, thing ticked off the list for the 2022-23 Raptors. Dude, I 100% agree. It's It's the thing I had written down too. Um, nice. The defensive rebounding was um, impressive. And, and I thought, you know, Siakam had the quote of the offseason for the Raptors, right? The, I want to be a top five player in the mm-hmm. league. And that's going to get, you know, bandied around whenever he has a bad game, whenever he has a great game, whatever. That's just going to be the thing that gets attached to him for the entire year. But yeah, one of the biggest things I look for in leaders, in best players, is where do you set the tone in an area of need? And I thought Siakam's defensive rebounding last night was awesome. He still got his offense. He still played good defense. Um, th- didn't end up with any, I think he had one assist. Maybe I, it, the playmaking. One, was, yeah. yeah. He should have had like yeah. eight yeah. guys. Yeah. It was, but I just thought he had, a, he had a brilliant game, but more important than the scoring because we had seen, we've seen everything that Siakam put on display last night, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if it's to the level of confidence for an entire season where he's going to be healthy like that. And he's had good rebounding games before. I just thought that in that, in that moment, game one of the season, against that opponent with those guys on that front line, for him to do what he did was awesome. And I also just love the rest of the team commitment to it as well. Like, there were a lot of moments in that game, too, where Allen and Mobley were active around the basket and they were kind of getting close to one. And then the team was just hounding them, right? Around the yeah. ball, tipping it, get, making the ball go loose, and then having one of the Raptors players go out on a hustle play and pick it up. So, no, I thought that was a massive... I. Like, yeah, it's a first impression. That's this entire segment, right? It's just first impressions. Right. So, yeah, like no one's going to say that the defensive rebounding is fixed. But, yeah, I did th- that surprised me, and that encouraged me as well. And the thing is, too, again, if you consider the defensive talent, the length, the potential of this team, how they finished last season, yep. if they are basically just that again, but with an improved commitment to defensive rebounding where they're finishing more of those possessions, not giving up offensive rebounding. Like the sky really is the limit for this defense because if they reach their potential defensively and close more possessions with the rebound, to me, this is like easily a top five defense. Okay. So big if, but it's there. Yeah, no, it's true. Cause that was their one bugaboo. And like I talked about this yeah. with Blake and Vivek uh, yesterday when we were doing our preview in terms of things that, 
uh, we needed to see from this team. We talked about how good they can be defensively, but yeah, part of it is defensive rebounding. And now it sounds cliche, but it's so true that it's an exhausting thing for a group. And it was a hilarious thing for them last year because they were so good at offensive rebounding. And yet they, yep. they just couldn't close stops on the other end. Last night, you got to be encouraged by it. So again, first impressions, um, two of 10 at the rim in the first half, just the opponent, just an off thing. Because again, if we're circling things from last year that they've struggled at, it's always been a little strange to me with this group of guys who are, yeah, pretty athletic, um, big uh, for multiple positions uh, outside of Fred, obviously, that they've struggled at the rim. I think it boils down to the fact that they're, again, the, the self-creation on the team is still lacking. Yeah. You know, not for them to be a good team, but for them to be a potentially great team or contend for a title, that, that level of self-creation and that self-creation talent, I still don't think is at that level of title contention yet. And the, you know, getting to the rim and finishing there is an indication of that. When they get out in, out in transition, they're great, of course, because they're in transition, you know, the rim's all usually clear, but when they have to create in the half court and especially against a team like Cleveland, where between Mobley and Allen, they just swallow up all that space inside. Like how many times last night did it seem like, you know, name your Raptor had an easy two points. And by the time they came up with the ball, one of Mobley or Allen's arms were in the way, you know? So I think it was a little bit opponent last night, but I do think it still does speak to a broader issue here, which is that this Raptors team, I think will still, maybe not to the degree they did last year, but they will still struggle to consistently create half-court offense to, you know, break down their defender one-on-one when it's not Siakam. Yeah, it's it's an oddity for me that I've never really been able to fully understand. And last year, like, I guess with Barnes's emergence and, like, the pieces with this group haven't actually been around together that long, right? Like, some of them have. But OG's yeah. had a ton of injuries. Siakam came into the year last year hurt. Fred finished the year hurt. Barnes, like, yeah, uh, Trent is still relatively new, but it's a team full of obviously high IQ guys, right? OG, super high IQ. Siakam, Fred, you know, go on down the line. Scotty came into the NBA and it was, hey, this guy's going to be able to be a playmaker. And yeah, they have a a brilliant tactician of a coach. And yet oftentimes with the half court offense, it just still feels, and I felt this last night. And I don't want to start off being like overly critical, but that it's just, there is still too much isolation stuff. And even with Siakam, right? Like the brilliance of the performance and the solid contribution that he gave to the team. I think that so much of it is exactly what you're talking about, which is like, they don't get a lot of easy looks at the rim. They don't tend to get a ton of easy looks unless they're kind of, you know, the threes that a lot of teams have and the raps to their credit, knocked them down last night. But it just, it still does feel like there's a little bit of turn taking. And I can't tell if that's just, you know, what other teams tend to be doing now. And that's just, you know, basketball, or if it is something that is more particular to this group that they haven't been able to unlock kind of a little bit more team chemistry or flow to their offense, ball movement to their offense. Yeah. And I think, again, I I do think some of that is, is tied to the fact that they don't have a lot of, of that kind of, self-creation, which seems like it's counterintuitive because we're talking about, you know, maybe it looking like there was a lot of iso ball, but the thing is, if there were more guys capable of creating for themselves and breaking the defense down, getting to the middle of the floor with their dribble, that collapses the floor, shooters get open. If there were more shooters on the team, that would help too. So I think it all it kind of comes full circle and it, it all mm-hmm. kind of goes round and round where more self-creation, a little more shooting would actually lead to less need for self-creation, if that makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. right now you're just seeing it where other than Siakam, 
no one's consistently beating anyone off the dribble on this team. You know, like Scotty and OG, I think OG last night was good at it too, like backing guys down, using their strength to get down there, but they're not really breaking guys down with their dribble and blowing by them and getting to the rim, right? So I just don't think this team, the way it's constructed right now, I don't think that's going to be their calling card. Yeah, the, the OG thing continues to be a fascination point for me because I, I'd, mm-hmm. it, like I, Will Lou makes really good observations with him where he continues to say, um, he he's thinking one or he's got one option really when he's driving, right? Like he's doing the one thing every time he drives. Yeah. And that part of OG's game to me last night, that, that was tough to see that it was very reminiscent of OG drives that, that we've seen basically since the beginning of his career, right? He's a bully. He's big. Um, he's extremely athletic and strong. And so, yeah, he can get to spots, but the, the creativity in terms of ways he gets there, um, and his ability to score in those moments still kind of leaves me wanting. And I, I'm just going to – then you watch him play defense. You see him, how important he is to be able to knock down a shot. And you, 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 at sometimes you can't remove him from this team. Like you're, it's hard to picture him out of it. And then there are other times where I go, I wonder what the other fit could look like or, or what this would be if they did decide to move off of him. Okay, so again, first impressions. Um, did you notice anything different from Scotty Barnes? I mean, not really, to be honest. He struggled a bit in the first half. I thought he came on in the second half. The energy was there, you know, typical Scotty energy. I thought he was, especially in the second half, he was pretty locked in defensively after some slippage maybe in the second quarter. And I thought his playmaking was really good. Like, he he threw some absolute dimes and had some of these, like, dark cross-court passes that didn't end in assists. So, I mean, I, I think he pretty much looked like himself. I think he'll continue to be that guy as the season uh, goes on. And then just with respect to your OG point, I get what you're saying for sure about maybe some of the lack of creativity creativity within his offense. I thought he had a huge second half on yep. both ends of the ball. But the thing I'd say with OG, and I've kind of been saying this, you know, at any time I've been talking ball, whether it's on a podcast, a radio show, whatever, is I think to me what they ended up getting from him last night is what they're going to get. But it's also kind of what they need. Like I'm personally over the stuff where it's like, is he going to make this leap or – you know, is he going to take this leap with respect to numbers or uh, rising up the offensive hierarchy or getting better on ball? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm at the point now where you, even you see his game last night with 18 points, seven boards, uh, five assists, three steals and a block, which is pretty damn good, right? It's pretty solid. I'm at the point where it's just like, give me a fully healthy season yep. of OG at his best two-way self. Because that's the other thing, too. He's never really had a fully healthy season. Give me that even what he is right now, which is like an all defensive caliber player on one end and a guy who on the other end is going to give you enough shooting can be an interior bully. And honestly, that's more than enough. Like again, if your expectations are that, okay, that leap everyone's always wanted is coming and he's going to become like a 21, 22 points per game score and be this better on ball guy. Like I personally just don't think that's coming, but I don't even think that's necessarily a knock on him because I think what he is right now and what he can be just right now with his current skill set, if he stays healthy, is actually like a really good player. Dude, that's everything you said is correct. Um, I have two things on it, though. One is, are we sure that's what OG will want, right? Because right. he's a quiet guy and the Raptors have their cone of silence and there were little breaches in that where, like I talked to Windhorse last summer and he mentioned OG, and yeah. like, that's a guy who I trust. And he didn't, and he said it like plain and simple where he was like, listen, it's not an issue. It's exactly kind of what the Raptors are saying, but it's something to monitor. And when I hear that, it's like, it's, I feel like it is a, a something, right? That he might yeah. want more, 
for his career. He might want a bigger role. He might, like, you know how athletes are. They believe in themselves. Of course. And they, yeah. and they want to show everybody what they can do. And so for OG, I just, I do wonder if long-term he will be okay in a role like that. Because to me, he is just a brilliant off-ball player. He's just a guy where whenever he's off ball with the Raptors, I go, the fit is perfect. And yet most of the time when he's on ball, I'm going, this isn't what I want. And this is like when we're talking about like the lack of creation in the offense and when it can look like it really bogs down and it doesn't fit. I find myself oftentimes it's, it's him who's handling it. Yeah. And I think the question, I mean, it, you know, if, well, I'm sure, I guess I'm sure he does want more. Cause like you said, all, you know, any professional athlete, wants more or thinks they can do more than what their team is giving them unless they're giving, you know, getting superstar treatment. So I get that. But the thing I would say is like, if he were to ever get more, like if OG is the number two guy from a usage or uh, ball handling position, perspective on a team that team's just not going to be you're, good you're I'm not sorry. doing you're like, not doing anything you're not doing right anything. your offense is not going to be good your team's probably not going to be good and again that's not even necessarily a knock on him i i think in his current role if he just stays healthy does you know what what he did last night which in the second half is pretty tremendous if he's just that guy all year stays healthy that's a really good player like that's an above average starter on a really good team and you know he's going to continue to get his money too like he's, he's got a Right now, it's a team-friendly contract, but he'll yeah. continue to get paid if he if he does that and stays healthy because of how useful that skill set is in the modern NBA. So, yeah. I believe, yeah, sure, I could believe that he wants more, but I don't believe him getting more would amount to success. I, I agree with that too. Um, the other part of it, if we're just going to continue the OG conversation, is if you're the Raptors and if you're Masai, the way for you to most meaningfully impact your team if you decide to do it through trade is with OG. And and that's the part, like that's the cross he's going to bear is when you do trade machine stuff or you do trade rumor stuff and teams look at what you're going to need back from the Raptors, as, like they're they're in it to compete now. They're trying to win. I don't think that Siakam's moving. I don't think Fred's moving. I don't think Scotty's moving. I think that it would take, you know, heaven and earth for one of those three guys to be removed from the equation. OG feels like the guy who's part of the core, but he's the outer core, right? Like he's the one guy who, if they decide to make that move, yeah, he's just, he's always going to be in those spots. Like when Portland is shopping around, yeah, sure. It might've been Portland, but again, it's his name for a reason. And so I just think that's a tough spot to be in. And yeah, I've, again, he's such a hard guy to read because he gives you so little, but I would love to know in just quiet moments with him, like if he does care about stuff like that, if he ever does notice stuff like that, if um, it perturbs him being an outer core player when, yeah, you've had such great growth with, within one team. Yeah, no, it, it would be fascinating to know. And then, I, you know, I throw Gary in that mix too. Not, you know, not at all suggesting he's, that the Raptors are looking to shop yeah. him running. To but me, I he's think... more outer, outer core though. You know, like he's one, right. pro- yeah. he's one step removed from OG. Yeah, yeah. But I do think in terms of, you know, if, if you're looking at putting a package together or mm-hmm. even looking at the contracts and what's left of them, like, I think OG and Gary would be the guys and they are the guys. I mean, we know this from spending a mm-hmm. summer on the trade machine. Those are the two guys that most people are kind of putting in those packages, right. And thinking what can, what can they get if they were to dangle those guys and wanted to make a win now move. First impressions of Christian Coloco. I mean, I think, like if you just go by last night, which right now is the only sample size we can go by in his NBA career, I think he looks like a rotation caliber. And that's really, really encouraging for the Raptors who took him in the second round. You know, it doesn't mean he's going to consistently be in the rotation. It doesn't mean he won't be 
in the G League at times this season. Remember, there was no Boucher, no Burks last night. So, yeah. you know, he got a greater opportunity than he might get the rest of the season. But he didn't really look at a place at all. Um, for one, he's either like near around everything on the glass and at the rim on both ends. And I think that was very evident. He's one of those, you know, you hear all the time people talking about like the nose for the ball. Well, rebounds, ball around the rim on the defensive end, he's got a nose for the ball. Like he seems to always be around it. I think he puts himself in great positions on the offensive end, off his screens and, and rolling to the rim. He gives the Raptors a vertical threat they haven't really had in the last couple of years, like on the pick and roll, uh, a lob threat for guys like Fred and Siakam. I actually don't think they utilized him enough in that regard last night because I thought he got himself into good spots a lot and could have gotten more opportunities off lobs and, and on the roll. You know, his hands aren't the best yet, but again, he's he's a bit of a raw rookie, so I don't think he's going to be putting up big scoring numbers, but I do think there will be opportunities there for him to get some easy baskets just because of his smart rolling and his vertical threat. Um, and I thought it was interesting, too, that, you know, early in the game, Nurse was going to him more than Achua. Mm-hmm. Now, that maybe says more about the way Achua started the game. I thought he finished it really well. But, no, I think, you know, if you're looking for whether Christian Coloco can get some steady minutes this season, I think last night was a really positive first step. And I also just think, you know, we made so much of it last year. We talked about it all the time, right, like the lack of a true seven foot or the lack of a true center, whatever you want to call it. Because of the height of the rest of the guys in this rotation on this team, his size really stood out last night. Like even just watching the game, seeing him stand beside his teammates, seeing him on the court against the team with guys like Allen and Mobley, like you see it. Like okay, if that is a seven footer, that's a big guy. That's a guy you could put in the middle. That's a guy who can rim run. I think this team will need it over the course of you know the next little while as they continue to develop and build up and. Yeah, again, we're talk- we can only talk first impressions right now because there's only yep. been one game. And I think first impressions, I don't really think you could have asked for much more from this guy. Nope, you couldn't have. Uh, I was surprised when he came in. Uh, even though they had the injuries, I wasn't expecting to see him. Like, I just, I hadn't thought about it. And then right. once he came in, I went, yeah, I guess. Um, they're missing a bunch of guys. They're missing three front court players. So naturally, I guess he's going to get into a game like this. I just, I was surprised to see him. And then what you said about him standing out from the other guys... That, that, it's funny to say, hey, you know what stuck out to me is like noticing the tall guy is tall, but really it yeah. did. It did. And there was this one play and it's not like other Raptors haven't been good with verticality or whatever, but in the second quarter, Donovan Mitchell takes a drive, right? Yep. And Coloco meets him at the rim, just length and straight up vertical gets a stop. And I went, that looked different than anything the Raptors have. Like that looked no, like true. a, that looked like a thing that they, and there, you know, there were rookie moments, right? He boxes out a Fred drive and you go, ah, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, like you tried to, yeah. you know, like what are you doing yeah. out here? It's like a, yeah. it's like a pickup game where you just bring up the guys. It's just like, oh, you've never really did, done this before, huh? Like, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I just, I liked his activity. I liked, uh, just the, I, I liked the way that he moves at that size. And I thought that he just, he made an impact around the basket and that he looked like something that the Raptors didn't have from a year ago. And so, yeah, it's first impressions and he is a rookie that I would not anticipate is going to play a ton, but already, like, I'm not even, uh, this is, I've kind of hammered on Ken Birch a lot last year, but I, I already see where I go. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to see Ken Birch play over that kid. Like I, I want to see that kid get his minutes like today. So that's my first impression is just, yeah, let me see more of him. Uh, last one. Do you put any extra stock into the beginning of the season this year because of the difficulty of the schedule out of the gate? Not necessarily because of that. You know, I put more stock in it because of how compact I think the Eastern Conference and the league at whole is going to be. Mm. 
And it's something like I asked uh, J.B. Bickerstaff, the Cavs coach, last night the same question. Like, how do you balance early in the season, especially with a kind of a new-look team, how do you balance that feeling out process of like, you know, okay, we're not going to get rolling until the 20-game mark, whatever, versus the margin for error is so slim in the East and at the top of the NBA this year that, you know, you let a few of these early season games go, especially against teams you might be battling for for positioning. That could come back to bite you more so than in recent years. So, I'm putting more stock in it than usual early season games. Again, not because I think, oh, this is this ultimate test, and if they don't pass it, they're not good enough, but more so because they're playing some teams I think they'll be jockeying with, and, you know, game one of the season does not matter any less when it comes to season series tiebreakers and things like that. So um, that's the reason I put stock in it. Uh, that also gives me a reason, uh, a bit of a shameless way to plug my the story I put up today on the score app which is actually all about how wide open the NBA is and how this is actually if you look at projection wise statistically uh, betting odds wise literally the most wide open uh, and deep the field of contenders in the NBA has ever been and I think it's going to make for a really good season but again to answer your question too I think it also means there are a lot more games that are going to matter because even in the east like the difference between getting something like the two seed or home court in the first round and missing the top six and having to go into play in entirely is going to be like a few games. And so you got to take care of business early. I, I've done this too. Like I, I had Seared on for my NBA preview a couple of days ago and she had a very um, small list of actual contenders. Mine was much longer because uh, I, I like to, I love this time of year for that, you know, so I can't wait to yeah. read that article because I like fantasizing about what teams could be, you know, and I don't care if it's stupid later in the year, right? Like, I don't, who cares? This is fun. This is a season yeah. where you're supposed to dream big and you're supposed to dream about best case and worst case scenarios for team, right? And yeah, last night was tough for uh, my, my Denver Nuggets, who I'm like, this is the year, Denver, and they come out to Utah and to get like smoked the game is over in like 10 seconds uh but just like a a fun night where i'm watching the first half of a a phoenix game going yeah dallas is in their head they're never getting out of this mental vice you should burn down the suns i'm doing fake chris paul trades and text messages with people and then a second half and they roar back i'm like phoenix is tough everybody wrote them off yeah yeah (laughs) exactly yeah so it's just this is a fun season so i can't wait to read the article uh again go check out joe's work uh on uh the score uh, let me get the, I, cause your Twitter handle is Joseph Casaro, right? Like you do the full name. Yeah. Minute. Joseph Casaro. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I will say too, um, to your point there, like, yeah. I think why it's more rare this year in the NBA is because that whole, like hope springs eternal. There's, you know, everyone's got hope. I think that usually applies to the other leagues on opening day, but the mm-hmm. NBA traditionally Never has always that. been right. Has mm-hmm. always been the most championship exclusive has always been, you know, about a very select few teams. Like I, I talk about it in the piece, but even, you know, if you look at some projection systems, there have been a lot of years, even in recent memory where only three teams come in with, but, you know, given a 5% chance or better uh, to win the title this year, as of opening night, there were 11 of those teams and 13 were given a 5% chance to make the final, like just does not happen in the NBA. So, Yeah, while it might look a bit silly in a couple months, or sure, of course, as the season goes on, we're going to realize, okay, some teams aren't actually that good. But the fact that we are that many teams even have realistic finals ambitions on opening night in and of itself is just so unprecedented for the NBA. And I think it's going to make for a really fun year. I think the West is really, really open and that the East to me is very much goes through the Celtics or Bucks. But I guess what I would say about Celtics or Bucks is that I I could see one of those teams getting upset, like... 
You know, yeah. I, I just I could see a scenario where we end up with a conference finals again that it that doesn't involve one of those two teams. And there are a whole bunch of teams in the East that I could see beating one of them. I just I, I have such a hard time when I look at it. And I again, it's first impressions and it's so early, but I'm, I'm watching that Celtics first game and going, wow, does the Brogdon piece fit? And man, they're going to get Robert Williams back with this team. Yeah. And I just yeah, there there seems to be a more clear hierarchy for me in the East with the West. It's like. It, I, I, like I, you could tell me that may, like honestly like six seven teams could come out of there and I wouldn't be like no that's idiotic that makes absolutely no sense so uh, I can't wait I can't wait to watch uh, well yeah I love the NBA so yeah, I can't wait to watch the NBA yeah, season that'll be fun. But, no but it's going to be a really really interesting season and a different season so I agree with you uh, Joseph, yeah. Joe Cacharo, uh give him a follow at Joseph Cacharo, uh senior writer at the score thanks for making time as always buddy appreciate it yeah man thanks for having me see you pal uh, yeah Joe does great work always love chatting him uh Great, 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 great basketball mind. Um, I don't think that tonight's football game is going to be great. Maybe, though. But can we stay hot as a, as a group? Pete, it's time for you to pick up slack. We're counting on you. It's Thursday, so we're doing our prop parlay. Didn't you hit your prop parlay last week? Yeah, yeah I, did, uh, I did my share. Yeah, that's what I mean. You did. Uh, who was the non-share? Was it me? I think it was me, actually. I was like, was it oh. you? Yeah, because last Thursday, I think I had someone to throw an interception, and they didn't do it. I think Carson it was Carson Wentz. Wentz. Yeah, yeah. I was Wentz to throw an INT, and I, I bricked it. Ouch. Sorry, Pete. That's okay. It was JD. all me. It was all me. All right. Uh, we're going to do our Thursday night picks, and uh, something Pete picked up that he thinks is bigger from uh, the Marner Media Conference than... Uh, all the hullabaloo about apologizing publicly to your players for them stinking after a loss. Quick break. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Okay, before we do time for action, everybody was all worked up in a lather about Sheldon Keefe's apology yesterday. Old eggshell Sheldon, egg Sheldon, just walking around on him. Um, and Mitch Marner was, Mitch Marner, like I said, I, th- I thought the body language and sometimes, I guess people think it's too harsh, I don't care. Um, I thought his body language when he met with the media yesterday was pretty trash. And I thought the way that he addressed the Sheldon Keefe comments, like it was so easy for him as a member of the leadership corps he and Matthews, Matthews did a little differently, but it was so easy for him as a member of the leadership corps to be like, yeah, we didn't feel like he needed to apologize. We need to be better against the Arizona Coyotes, period. Cool. Moving on. Could have bailed him out, decided not to do that. But, oh, Pete, Pete, PR Pete, who doesn't want anybody criticizing the Leafs, tried to deflect from yesterday's with uh, a different observation. So, yeah, what, what, uh, we got. You think that the Muzzin clip is a very big deal? Like him talking about Jake Muzzin. Let's. We're gonna hear it in a second. But yeah. Well, I don't want to speculate. I just thought it was interesting the way mm-hmm. Mitch Marner talked about Muzzin's injury. Uh, I don't know what he knew about Muzzin's injury at the time, but mm-hmm. the fact that he talked about like family and like life after hockey made me think, whoa! Like, is this Muzzin injury more serious than we might have expected? All right. Let's hear the. Let's hear the clip. Roll it. Awesome. Do um, obviously for him, it's just making sure that. Um, if he does come back and play this year or whatever, or whatever happens, um, you know, just make sure that he's going to be able to do whatever he wants to do the rest of his life and enjoy the time with his family, his kids, and 
um, whatever he wants to do. So I think that's the most important thing. And um, obviously on the ice for us, it's a big missing piece. Um, he does a lot for us on and off the ice. So just calmness um, on the ice when he has the puck, penalty kill wise, just the leadership he brings, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a big piece that uh, will be missing. But So here's where I'll start with this. Um, was, who sings that song? And you don't know what you got till it's gone. Who is that? Save Paradise. Who is that? That song is a banger. So I'm sorry for disrespecting that. Boffos are like team music guy, and he hasn't buzzed in my ear yet, which is like it's, it's devastating. I can't hear you. That's Joni Mitchell? Oh, man. Who? <laughs> you know what's so bad? <laughs> what's so embarrassing is... No, I thought it was like... Okay, this is really bad. This is really bad what I'm about to confess. I shouldn't even be taking up this time. Of course it's Joni Mitchell. Because like, yeah, I can picture her singing it. But you know who I thought of? I think it's Uncle Cracker. <laughs> I think it's the band Uncle Cracker does a cover of that song. And that's who I was thinking about. Anyway, sorry to Joni Mitchell, who's like one of my dad's all-time favorites. My dad's literally rolling in his grave, me doing that right now. Like, he's done. Like, he's just like, he's devastated. <laughs> so he's like, I want to die again. I want to die twice. Um... <laughs> This is, this is so embarrassing for me, my son not knowing that. But this is a don't know what you got till it's gone situation with when Jake Muzzin gets replaced with Victor Mete. And yeah, let's <laughs> just say uh, we did a lot of criticizing of old Muzz. And yeah, probably better for this team than Victor Mete. Uh, either way. Pete, I get what you're saying. I hear you. I think that the more interesting part of it was that when he says if he comes back this season because it's just like yeah I want him to say when he comes back this season that he's feeling fine but I think the other stuff is just these guys know a lot about head injuries now right they've seen alumni they have consulted with doctors like their sport is a violent one and what do we know about concussions right it's not about you know the one big one it's about the accumulation. So for a guy like Muzzin, who's now had multiple injuries and who's a hard-hitting player, right? Someone who is not afraid of contact, who needs the contact, you're on higher alert. I think that the family stuff and everything is, these guys have been around him now. He's been a big part of their team for a lot of years. They're, they're just looking out for him. But the, it's a good flag because the if he comes back, not when, I don't know if that's being respectful and thoughtful or if that is being revelatory yeah and then there's also reports on twitter and stuff that mm -hmm. uh uh people have heard he's going to be out a long long time whose reports uh darren dreger yeah um, who else well just he said that on overdrive yesterday okay. and uh um i just thought that was something to think about where it's yeah. like whoa we have uh frank cervelli on in a few like couple minutes and it's going to be pretty interesting to hear what he has to say about this sucker. Frank's in the know, and here's what I will tell you. That's a pretty damn credible report, a guy who doesn't like to guess. So he makes it very clear whenever he's on his panels. Um, yeah. A very, very long time is scary for the Leafs blue line. How far are we away from old Jordy Ben getting right? Because uh, I always thought that he was going to factor into this blue line. And I think his injury was multiple weeks, but it's not like way too far away, right? Anyway, we'll ask Frank about that too. Quickly, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Uh, you got to be 19 plus. 
You got to download the DraftKings app to get in on the action, and you got to live in Ontario. And please play responsibly as always. So yeah, it's our Thursday night football prop parlay. I am extremely chalky tonight. Um, so I'll start with you guys. Maybe you know old old sexy prop Pete, guy who loves <laughs> a big winner, a guy who loves to blow up the prop parlay with massive odds. Is that where you're going tonight? Or are you going a little bit more normal, Petey? No, I've been trying to play it safe recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to let the team down. You won't even showdown. see the game. You'll be at the Leafs. I will be at the He's Leafs. He's a big game. wheel. He's yeah. Pete. You're just you're out there. Um, so this pick I've actually parlayed with an Austin Matthews anytime goal. Mm. Um, but it's Will Lutz over six and a half kicking points scored. Minus 125 on DraftKings. I like that, Pete. Uh, He has 21 kicking points over his last two games. Yep. And then obviously in uh, Arizona, indoor stadium, State Farm uh, Stadium. So I feel good about this bet. I also expect it to kind of be a low-scoring game. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what the uh, betting money is saying online or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> or whatever, don't say or whatever. <laughs> Just go through. I love this pick. This is literally my other than your Browns TD one mm-hmm. that ended up play, hitting on the last play of the game plus 650. Yep. Plus 650. This is my favorite bet that you've picked. Mm-hmm. I'm all in on this oh, bet. I'm locking into this in a big time way. I just probably gave it the kiss of death because I like it so much. <laughs> no, but I love kickers who are reliable, and Will Lutz is that. Like, that mm-hmm. guy is uh, one of the five, six kickers in the NFL where you go, oh, he's lining up for a 51 yarder. Okay, good. I feel good about this. Saints play in a dome, but this, like, Arizona, same thing. Feeling good about that. Plus, just the the way that unders have been hitting all year long. It's like 65-plus percent where unders have been hitting. This too-high safety thing that has been just rocking the league. Nobody can pass anymore. There's no more explosive plays. Um, with the quarterback situation and the style of game that I expect, which is going to kind of parlay into some of my stuff, um, I, yeah, I like that pick a lot. Will Lutz, we're not, I like that you already are off the team parlay though. You just went ahead and made your own with the Austin Matthews goal, but it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, Joe, Josiah Bosch, what do you got? I'm sticking with the saints. Yeah. I'm of course. Going... You are. Oh, I forgot. Joe was yeah, a saints fan. Yeah, I was about to say, what, um, how are you feeling? I'm feel- you guys I'm lose to the good. Cardinals that are in a, I'm in a... actually feeling good after watching the Cardinals and the Seahawks game. I'm feeling a lot more confident than I was. Although the injuries are piling up. You got which, like, which, I looked at the Saints injury report today, and it's just like your whole team. They're down. Yeah, Adam Troutman, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore. Olave's going to play? Olave, he's he's questionable still, um, mm. but directly leading into my bet. So just, that guy who everyone drafted in fantasy last year that stinks, Marcus Calloway, is going to be the number one guy tonight. He could be, but... Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Remember that? Those were sexy times in the streets but my, of fantasy was Marcus Calloway with Jameis Winston, the the dynasty that they were going to accumulate together of, of statistics. Sorry, what were you saying? So I'm saying the, the person that I expect to be the number one target tonight is actually mm. Jawan Johnson. And he's mm. their second string tight end. This is inside but information, he is, everybody. He is third on the team in targets. Okay. Only behind Kamara and Olave. All right. So with Olave being limited, he's probably not going to play every single snap tonight. Johansson's probably going to be with Kamara, the leading guy. Wait, what's his name? Juwan Johnson? Johnson. Yeah, you so called going... him Juwanson? <laughs> I called yeah, Johansson. Yeah, you sure did. Juwan Johnson. I like that. No, he's Juwanson from now on. So what's Juwanson saying? I'm hammering the over on his yards and receptions, but I'm going anytime TD. Plus Oof. 360. Oof. For the parlay? I'm going Juwan Johnson anytime don't touchdown. Don't make me do this for the parlay. We have such a nice start. I love the targets. I love the receptions. Please don't make me do the there's touchdown. One more, there's one more fact, though. Okay. The Arizona Cardinals are the worst team in the NFL against tight ends. They allow almost eight All receptions right. a game to tight ends. All right, Jobo. All right. This is inside information. I might make a separate parlay. That Without is. Without that? No, just his receiving yards over. Oh, yeah. And maybe and his receptions. 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 Yeah. Like if he's getting a ton of targets. Plus, it's Andy Dalton tonight, right? Yeah. 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 I like that. I like everything to do with it. You guys did. 
a good job today. Good job by you guys. I'm intrigued. You've piqued my interest. Normally, I forget your guys' picks because I don't bet them. <laughs> like, that's why I always come on here for the next time to actually go like, how did you guys do? What did you? What were you guys doing? Even though Jobo's been red hot. Uh, yeah, um, I am Chuck. Bafo and I came in with the same one today. The Chalk Boys just, you know, powdered up, LeBron style, putting it up in the air. DeAndre Hopkins is back. And this Cardinals offense has been a stink pit ever since he's been gone. Two games with no touchdowns. Two. Two games, including one against the Seahawks. You watch the Seahawks defense against your Saints. You're aware of the situation. Here's what they don't do. Hold teams to no touchdowns. Like the Lions and them set a, a record. They, everyone went, wow, that's cool. Jared Goff and Geno Smith, the two quarterbacks we always expected to be setting records for points. Um, Boff, do you think it's a red flag that you and I were both on the same pick, uh, that we both like a DeAndre Hopkins plus 110 anytime touchdown for the parlay, and that this is just one of those, like, should we really be expecting the Cardinals offense to change all the match? I will say, can I give you a stat? Hopkins, in, he only didn't have TDs in four of his 12 games last year. Like that's his red zone guy. He's, and, and I feel like he's going to give him some touches. He's going to let him touch the rock. That's his guy. I feel like it's kind of interesting. They're playing the saints today too. Cause I'm having similar Michael Thomas vibes from week one where he came back off of a long layoff and then they were looking for him in the red zone, mm. the yardage total. I'm with you. I don't know. could be a little sketch, but yeah, he's the, he's the guy in the red zone and I feel confident. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit, worrisome that we're both on it but uh i'll throw i feel like everyone's on it though is the 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 spooky thing again it's spooky season it's halloween you know the decorations are out the the scary movies are out been trying to convince my girl to go see scary movies like for the last like two weeks she keeps faking sick so that she doesn't have to go to see anything scary or spooky but um like yeah this is spooky this is a spooky everybody's on it bet well, I'll, I'll give you one more, just as mm-hmm. you were going over the uh, yardage totals here. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Callaway as somebody that could get some more run. Mm-hmm. I'll, t- I'll, I'll sprinkle a little bit on Traquan Smith over two. Oh, that's another one. Over two and a half receptions, Fantasy though. legend. Plus 130 on DraftKings. So that's not bad. Think Jobo? Three, three catches for this guy. Come on. I'd be confident in that, yeah. Yeah. Traquan the Saints Smith. fan is like, guess what, guys? Tonight? Saints, Saints by a million. Saints everything because Chris Olave is like he said he's going to be playing, but he's not going to be like he's still going to be limited because they're going to watch the concussion. So there's going to be it's going to open up space for other guys. I, I wish I would have listened to the boys before I made my uh, a bet last night that I locked in that is just locked. But I was I'm very high on Camara tonight. I think that Camara is going to get the rock. I think he's going to rush. His last two games has been it's been way more Camara with the Saints. And them saying, oh, right, this guy's our best player. Now, without those receivers, I'm a little worried about um, a Cardinals defense that has actually been pretty stout against the run this year, loading up the box and saying, yeah, we're not going to let you beat us this way. But either way, I just I think that the, the Kamara rushing total is pretty low today. I think I saw it at like 64 and a half. Um, I kind of like that one, too. So, yeah, maybe we are Saints. I said I picked the Arizona Cardinals yesterday, but it, I will admit something to you. Um, it was a panic pick. It was a rush pick. I completely forgot that we had to do that during Raptors preview and I didn't have the line in front of me. So I just like, I just, I said Cardinals. <laughs> I don't really believe it. <laughs> I want winners. Yeah, I, I do. I want winners and I, I don't have any faith in that. So if you put that bet in already, 
cash out. I, I, I don't like either side of the line in this game. Like I, these are two teams that are very unpredictable to me. And, and like, you know what I do like though is actually is saints first half money line because the Cardinals have been coming out trash. And like, I think they've lost every first half so far this season and they might be trying to like force feed Hopkins a little bit too much. Oh, we got to go, but yeah, quick break. But, um, yeah, don't bet either side of this one. All right. Just watch all the other sports that are on TV tonight and then just put your picks in and then watch them through the sports that app, refresh the sports that app quick break. Frank Saravelli next. Oh, yeah. It's hot in Leafland. The drama is kicking around. Blame the media. Leaf 7 1 says 67. It's the media. You poor Leaf fans. Got you in a vice. We're just doing it year over year over year, keeping them down. <laughs> Frank Saravalli joins me now. Uh, Daily Faceoff. What's up, buddy? How we doing? JD, that is an evil laugh you got yeah. there. Yeah, no, it's a good one, right? It's kind of impressive <laughs> that you can do it on command. <laughs> yeah, dude, you want to, like, are you going to be the guy who breaks the report about the, the media conspiracy in Toronto trying to keep the team down? Yeah, I don't think that's going to be me. Mm. Although I do find it interesting because when the coach reacts like that, not once, but twice, because he was a little bit spicy after the loss to the Canadians as mm. well. Essentially what that does, if you're in the media, is like that's a green light special. Like the coach is doing it, like therefore the temperature is high and the pressure is real and everything that you think you saw is real. Dude, uh, this is all I've been trying to communicate to everybody is – uh, I tweeted yesterday that this is a this is a sign of fragility, and people are like, "No, it's a sign of the media." And I'm like, "No, it's not. They volunteered that information, like Sheldon Keefe, twice. Like no one sentence. pushed him over the edge or, exactly. or like held a gun to his head to act that way. <laughs> no, no, and like I should say, react that way. Yeah. Well, here's the other part of it too. I, you know, I do a show in Toronto. I do a show directly about the Maple Leafs. His comments about the stars against Arizona were water off a duck's back. Like, no one was talking about them. It absolutely was not an issue. So the idea that he felt that he had to go into that dressing room and tell his team that he used the wrong words to describe their effort and then basically had to make some, like, mealy-mouthed explanation about how they didn't convert chances against, again, a team that they were minus 500 favorites against who was openly tanking and, yeah, just doesn't have really any good players... It was just, it was kind of astonishing to me. Like, it, it's weird. I, I can't tell if this is just him not understanding sometimes media here, even though he's, like, joking about it at the media conference, or if he does feel just, like, completely lopped off at the knees when it comes to his power because he knows that his group is sensitive and that he really does have to watch what he says. I don't think it has anything to do with either of those two. I think What's it speaks theory? everything to the real pressure of what the Toronto Maple Leafs and other teams are feeling in the first 10 days of the season. Like mm -hmm. it is re like look in Vancouver, Br Bruce Boudreaux is saying that his team is mentally weak. Miles Wood, after his team in New Jersey loses the first game of the year to the flyers mm -hmm. calls game two a must win on like October 14th must win. And they lost. It speaks to, that you you can't dig yourself a hole in this league. Teams know it. And I think probably we should take a step back and look back to last year and remember that the Toronto Maple Leafs started, what was it, two and five? Yeah. I'm and they went on to collect that. the most points in franchise history, I believe, at 115 in mm -hmm. a single season. So 
I, I just I just think the temperature is higher than normal for a lot of teams that have expectations that know that this season can't get off on the wrong foot. And you're feeling and seeing some of that in the reaction. Okay. So with all due respect to the Vancouver Canucks and with all due respect to Miles Wood and yeah, a team in the New Jersey Devils that has more of an expectation this year and the temperature's up in those markets because they want to improve. Um, they're non-comparable to the situation in Toronto here. Like the fans have booed in two different games um, against the Leafs and it was a full nuclear meltdown after the game against the Montreal Canadiens. And I have a tough time blaming the fans right now because this is what happens when you don't make significant changes and you roll things over year over year. I'm not even saying that it's the wrong decision, but yeah, they had that game against Pittsburgh last year in that first seven games that you're referencing, and it was way worse, way worse. It looked the, the outcome than anything we've seen so far. I don't think that anybody doubts um, the effectiveness of this hockey club. I think that the issue people have right now is whether or not they feel as though their coach um, has real power, real juice in that dressing room because Sheldon. Why do you say that? Like what, what gives you that? Like walk me through your, how you end up there. So how I end up there is Sheldon keeps a fiery guy, right? You would agree. Uh, I would say he's passionate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good, that's I don't don't, mean, honestly, I don't look at him and say fiery, like, or someone ready to, you know, the lid to pop off. I don't, he can be a very passionate speaker and he has had a few moments since he has been here where he has said things and he has felt the need to like walk them back. And so I guess it's why does he walk those things back in a market where you know that you walking it back is just going to make it a bigger story. So, so what is the reason for this? Is this that he really genuinely feels as though he's trying to take a bullet when in actuality it creates usually a bigger story around his team? Or is it that and this is where it comes from, is it that he worries about the way that his group responds to him and most particularly his stars, and that's why he feels the need to deflect in these moments where he has to walk back comments he makes in post games? Because, again, this isn't the first time for him. I, I don't see it that way at all. Like, I see it as someone that said something that maybe they felt like they went too far on mm-hmm. and wants to turn the temperature down. And I understand what you're saying and that it may have the inverse effect that it may just call more attention to it. And that had you just moved on and gone on to the next thing that maybe people would stop talking about it. I get that, but I don't think at all that there's any sort of plea for, um, you know, his players to listen. Like, I think they're fully engaged and I don't think there's any issue at all between Sheldon Keefe and, power or lack of power and whether or not his players listen to him or not. I've never gotten that sense even for one second. So, um, yeah, I I guess I just am not seeing it the same way. He is also a guy that after the first loss to Montreal said that he needed to save his bullets. And then three games later is effectively using a bullet. I, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I would say like when you look at, at that process, like, I, I guess, does that count as using a bullet? I don't I know. Wouldn't I have mean, thought it would. I didn't think it was until he addressed it, until he felt the need, the compulsion to come out and say that he used wrong words. And I guess I don't even is, know that he did. Like, and, and I think when you listen to Mitch Marner, like he was kind of thinking like along the same lines as what you and I are saying in the sense that we're all men here. Like we, we get it. Like you, you don't need to apologize. Like there are no hurt feelings here. Um, and what did he say? Honestly, that was so nothing over the top. Like 
He said, we have elite players and Arizona doesn't, and our elite players aren't playing elite players. Like, if you boil it down to the simplest terms, that's, that's what he was saying, and it's not wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just that that group of players that you're counting on, your big guns, they're not firing yet. They're not firing on all cylinders. So it, has it been underwhelming, the performances? Yes. Is it early? Yes. Is he trying to coax that out of him? Yes. Um, I, don't, like, I don't even see anything to, to walk back. Yeah, I agree. And that was kind of the point that I made off of the top of the show today is, um, to me, looking at it from the outside and looking at the way that Keefe has handled this and even the way that he's spoken from the beginning of the season, um, I think you're right that the temperature check is high, that he is obviously feeling the heat and that other members of the organization are obviously as well. Like they know the stakes, they know the parameters of this year. I would, I would say that the stakes are probably a little bit higher for Sheldon Keefe than other people. Like let's say Dubas does not re-sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's going to have another job in hockey. He's going to be the general manager of another team again. Like he's going to point to his track record and it's going to be clear and obvious and he will waltz into another job. Um, let's say a player gets traded from the Leafs, like they're still playing. I, I'm, I'm still kind of uncertain as to what Keefe's future is. And to me, what I'm seeing here with him saying that he has to save his bullets early on in the season, him having to walk back comments multiple times that he'll deliver in a post-game media conference and then kind of bringing to the podium again, that those are kind of just similar mistakes over and over again. And so again, it's like, I have to examine. Okay, so let me stop yeah. you for a second. Yep. Why, why are you on, like, let's say this all falls apart, the wheels fall off yep. and they make a coaching change. Why are you uncertain that Sheldon of Sheldon keeps future as a head coach? Like, let me just read you his record. Yep. 118, 52 and 19. That's a 675 points percentage. It's incredible. Why do you think that his future is any different than anyone else's in terms of an ability to get a job? Well, I think that he's tied directly to this general manager so far. Like he's come up through this organization and but I'm he's not, done a good job. Yeah, he, I mean, some people would argue that he hasn't like, I, I have a lot of people that would disagree with you, especially considering like how he's performed in the playoffs. Most people, he doesn't perform. Like yeah. I want to make that clear and I don't want to like go down too far down this rabbit hole, but like, Sheldon Keefe isn't the guy with the puck on his stick making a turnover in the third period against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep, you're preaching to the choir. I think that usually coaches are far too blamed for losses and usually actually don't get enough praise for the successes. What I do think, though, and this is something that I've discussed multiple times with people who know a lot more about the game than I do, is the consensus has been that he has been outcoached in every single one of the playoff series that he's been a part of. And there have been things that you can point to in terms of either an inflexibility um, or some tactical decision-making that he has made, and specifically in the Columbus and Montreal series, that people have taken umbrage with, the style of play and the line combinations. And so, like... I think maybe some of those things are fair. But I would say, like, looking back at this past series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, like, I I don't know that there's one thing that he would have or should have done differently. Mm. So maybe, maybe, maybe the decision of, of who started a certain game, maybe that's part of it. Um, maybe that's one, mm-hmm. but like, I, I don't know that the coach and, and, and when you look at this group of players, it, it's been the same group year after year that has sort of felt like, and I hate using this term, like when the pressure is on and they're in the heat of it, there's a, there's a general choky vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And that's been part of it. Like they've had leads in playoff series that they haven't converted on. I, maybe the coach can change the tenor of that, but 
at the end of the day, he he's not responsible for having killers in the lineup that Brendan Shanahan talked about. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Frank, again, like we agree on most of these things. I guess like I didn't say that I don't think he has a future in hockey. I said that or sorry, as a boss of a bench in the NHL. I'm saying I'm less certain of it than everybody else within the organization. Like, I, I think that... And dude, I would combat that. Okay. Well, then, yeah, that's good to know. But I did not... I, up until I, this I moment, enjoy this, by the way. Yeah, good. I just didn't know what Sheldon Keefe, in terms of his demand, would be if he's a free agent head coach this coming offseason. Like, it's a job that a lot of times is determined by relationships and uh, lengthy track records. And I just don't know what his relationships are around the rest of the hockey world. Like, I know what his relationships are like here in Toronto. But, yeah, I, I don't know what his connective tissue is to other places and to other organizations and to other decision makers around the league. Like, you would 100% know that better than I would. I just, yeah. That's yeah, and it. I would say that, I'll say this, I don't know what that connective tissue is like either. Yep. I'm sure there are relationships elsewhere, but I'll say this, that a lot of GMs and, and front office personnel around the league mm-hmm. watch what happens in Toronto because there's so much focus on it, because people are talking about it, that if you go there and you have success, they view that as a, as a leg up, as a, a huge bonus on your resume that you've worked in the pressure cooker, you understand what it's like. Hey, maybe this guy will be even better in a situation where the pressure isn't so high. Yeah, well, then I guess this is, goes back to the choky vibe and the reasons behind comments like the ones that were made the other night. Um, People... Well, maybe the other part of this start, and I'm not, I don't know this, and I'm just wondering, yeah. is there any part of this Leaf team that is kind of maybe skating through the first couple weeks of this season, knowing that really whatever happens in the regular season is meaningless? See, I... that the only thing this team will be judged on is their playoff success or lack thereof. See, I think that this is the only actual kind of miscommunication that we're having right now. I'm not concerned about the results right now. Like, I think that it's a little bit more concerning that you show up at the beginning of a season and you have two performances that I would say are pretty lackluster where you play down to your competition because like, I I just think that, you know, we all make mistakes. It's what do you learn from your mistakes of your past? And I would think that for a group that has been largely criticized, um, questioned across the board, um, has been, you know, uh, just taken shots at the way that the Leafs have been, that you would want to show up to a season with just a, an extra, like, FU attitude to the rest of the league, that you would really want to put everybody on notice. And so far through four games, it's four games. But they haven't really done that, and they've shown some of the propensities of the past that have led to their lack of success. I personally do not really care because I'm in the same camp mm-hmm. as you. What I do understand, though, is the frustration of fans because they pay hard-earned dollars to watch this team, and there has been a growing sense of frustration. Like, I've never seen the Leafs get booed four games into a season before by the fan base. I've never seen the level of animosity here, even when there have been really, really difficult times in Toronto. Like, it is a razor-thin level of patience that people have for this group right now. And so that's why I keep coming back to these Keefe comments. They blew up yesterday for a coach to come out. And I guess like, maybe this is just a question I kind of need to ask you. How often do you see a head coach apologize to the media for comments that he made about his core players? Because this is a league that historically stories like that of, Hey, uh, a coach went to a star player, right? And Bobby Orr said that he needed to be criticized in front of the team, just like everybody else. Like, that's usually the way that we look at those sports. And so I can't tell if this is so much narrative-driven that, that we look at it this way, or, but how much of this is actually a commonality? Because you cover the entire league, 
And yeah, you see a lot more of the way other coaches handle their media conferences and, you know, their harsh criticisms of their teams than we do here. I think it happens way more than we think. Like, I think it's actually pretty common that in the heat of the moment, seven minutes after the game ended, you're doing your press conference, you react a little bit more strongly than you intended to. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think there's frequently a conversation and and I think it, it cuts both ways too. There's things that players say that they're not proud of that they have to apologize for that they may have said to a coach at one point or another that I think it's a general, you know, there, this is, this, there is a lot of pressure that's related to this. And so people do react under that circumstance. And in this case, I don't know, it feels pretty common. Does it, is it usually common that they bring that to the media? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because so it, let me remind you of this too, JD, that there's so many markets around this league. And I, and I know this just from, especially being president of the professional hockey writers association, there's a, there's a number of markets where you can count the media people on one hand. Yep. And, and frankly, the people that travel there, sometimes there are none. So there are full days and weeks where some of this stuff doesn't even get talked about in those markets, let alone 27 people in a scrum that are, that are asking for it. It's, it's just a, it's a different beast. It just is. Yeah. It's a different beast. I would just still contend that voluntarily offering insight to that beast is an oddity to me. And I still question the motivation of it. I still question where it comes from. And yeah, to me again, like mm, I'm not there. Uh, I don't see what happens behind closed doors. Those guys make that very, very clear. But when I see someone that has to walk back a comment, that's pretty, again, innocuous and forgotten. That tells me that you felt the need to do that and you felt the need to do it publicly. And so it's like, who are you doing that for? And I would think that you are doing that for someone other than yourself because it doesn't, it's not self-serving whatsoever. And if we're talking about like the, the choky nature of this group, my guess is, is that maybe um, this coach knows that these guys don't respond very well to pressure and an attempt to try to ramp things down he ramped things up. And so like, I guess we can argue about like what the causation of that is, but all it has done is make things worse for the Maple Leafs. And I think that there should be accountability. Has it really? That's, yeah. that's the only, like I get everything you just said and I understand it, but yeah. has it really turned temperature? Like to me, I view it now as yeah, like for sure. water under the bridge. Like this is just like the temperature has been cooled off. He, he apologized or, or straightened out his comments, clarified them. Mm -hmm. And now everyone's moving on. See, it's everyone's moving on if you win, right? It's like the winning cures everything thing. But again, Uh, that's why I have it in my Twitter bio. Winning is the best deodorant. Yeah, it is. And it's just, this is how it is right now. Um, There's, you're right. The group is not, um, it doesn't matter how much they win in the regular season. If they fall apart in the playoffs again, then everything is going to come out. But it's just this accumulation of information for people who doubt this, that, it just, it builds up, right? And so, like I said, that... Um, but maybe maybe part of the buildup, though, is mm-hmm. not just, like, the listless effort, but also the other facets of what's happened to this point. You see the Matt Murray injury. You see Jake oh, yeah. Muzzin's injury. And, and not just Jake Muzzin's injury, but also really his play before that. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you start to add those things up, and you say, okay, this this feels like maybe that's spiraling in the wrong direction and maybe that's contributing to you know sort of some of the pressure that people are feeling like sure if you lose a guy that you were counting on to play 40 games this year in net 
and he's gone for at least the first, the first month. And given his track record, I don't know that you can rely on him for the rest of the season mm-hmm. and feel comfortable about it. Then, you know, Muzzin and his, his back history and, and then now throwing this concussion and neck his, history, like it's just, it's that, that stuff that I think probably wears on you even more than the results. Yep. A hundred percent. I just also think that in year seven of this core, um, after they've been doubled down, I think that this is, you know, I even triple down. And I, I actually have advocated, like, I think that them keeping this group together right now is probably the smarter move for this it's team. definitely the smarter move. Yeah, of course. Like, what, you're going to panic trade somebody and move off of someone so that you can get an inferior player? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily... They already did sure. that with Nazem Kadri, and how yeah, did that work? Exactly. It was a disaster. And so... I, I don't have a problem with any of this, but what I want to see, and I, like, I'm sorry, I'm, I, like, I'm not sorry for any of this, is I want to see a group that's confident, and I want to feel as though they are confident in that room that despite early adversity, that they can overcome it because this season is built around the premise that those four guys especially, or those five guys, however you want to kind of extend that core of the group, that they are good enough to overcome a lot and that they are mature enough in this market to kind of understand how things operate and that they are not going to be shaken by some early results or they are not going to visibly put outwardly anyways that they are feeling the pressure. And to me, that's what yesterday was, that they are outwardly showing their hand, that they are feeling it. And sure, it's human nature, like whatever, but pro athletes are judged differently than a lot of us. And I think fairly so. And so that is my concern. If I'm a Leaf fan, that's my concern. If I'm a just observer of the sport, and that's sort of what I read into Sheldon Keefe yesterday is that looks like a guy who's walking on eggshells. I do want to move to the next thing, which is what you said about Murray, because um, it's a question that I've been stuck with for a while. You're right. I don't think that they can rely on him. Uh, it looks like an incredibly tough gamble right now for Dubas that he gets hurt right away. But is is your understanding that he would have been put on LTIR had it not been for the cap space? Like, is the injury one that your understanding is, is pretty significant or was it something maybe a little bit more minor that they had to treat more harshly because they're $4 under the cap? No, I think it's entirely related to his injury. Like, I think you see the reaction right now and how they're handling the situation with Jake Muzzin. They're uncertain. They're like, well, we don't know how long this guy's going to be out. And if we make the determination to put him on LTIR to get flexibility, well, first off, we need to account for him to come back. And second, that means he's out at least 10 games or 24 days. So with with Murray, it feels like a – you know, legitimate abductor injury to the point where, you know, this is not going to recover that quickly and he needs to be out at least that amount of time. Mm. And it's not to then go chase, you know, something else that they could add to their group. Basically what put putting Murray on, on LTIR does now that we know he's going to be out that long is you're not sweating every roster transaction, meaning they were playing at the league minimum of 20 and now they can play with 23, and in case someone gets hurt, you're not dealing with emergency conditions or something like that where you have to rely on playing short for a game. Um, and the other injury is Muzzin, who, yeah, it's, listen, anytime you're dealing with head or neck, it's always scary, um, especially if you have a track record of them. But it didn't, like, I never got the impression immediately that this was something that they were overly concerned about. And then yesterday, Marner's talking about, if he returns this season and them looking at his, you know, post playing career. And, and I couldn't tell what, that's what was the signal to me. Yeah. And that's why I was like, hold like, I mean, talk about reading a lot into what someone says, which we just did with, with Sheldon Keith. Mm -hmm. That to me was maybe the most interesting and or alarming thing that's been said all week Mm. was him immediately saying after the game, you know, you think of him as, 
as a family guy and uh, he's a brother and like, uh, you know, that the idea of the post playing career and what that looks like. And of course, anytime thinks that when there's the potential for a concussion or whatever it may be, I got to tell you like, yes, all that is concerning of, of Jake Muzzin and his concussion history and, and how much time he missed after being dinged a second time last year, watching Jake Muzzin through the first few games, I was more concerned about his back. Mm than anything else. And now to add this and layer it on, it's another really big question mark for this team. Yeah. Um, the text that I was getting mostly about Muzzin involved in the first game, especially was he looks slow. Uh, he doesn't look like he's moving very well. Um, yeah. It, it's always a concern for this team that a guy that has played such an important role and still is supposed to be like a really physical and calming presence on their blue line um, does look like he's started to age and that the wear and tear is starting to affect him. Um, but yeah, to now know that he might not be a part of this team for the rest of the season because of a neck uh, injury or head injury, like that, that was pretty alarming. The only thing I would say is that I guess I don't know. premature, by the way, because if they had a sense of that happening, they would be sliding him to LTIR and then saying, okay, we can now use that money to go out and get someone. Yeah. And again, I, this is, this is why I was sort of confused by the comment or I, maybe I didn't read into as much of it as some other people did is I, I just wondered if this is like the, the climate around concussions right now, where anybody that's had them, the, the kind of stance you have to take, especially as a teammate of someone is, Hey, don't worry about getting back to the team, worry about your long-term health. Like we just saw what happened with Tua Tungavailoa in the NFL and just like the, the outrage that that caused with him getting back on the field and just sort of the caution that the Dolphins are using moving forward. Like hell, they took Teddy Bridgewater out of a game because they said that they saw like a slight stumble. Like it's totally changed the atmosphere around football, just like this one injury. To me, that that's what I thought those comments were, was just um, stock standard, the new era of the way that guys talk about concussions. Which is probably pretty healthy, right? I mean, for the longest time, it's just been like, hey, you know, you feeling okay? Get back out there. And to see that recognition from teammates, like where no one would think anything differently of you if you said you can't go because of a concussion, like that's the change that needed to be made in the game in order for everyone to not be dealing with these traumatic brain injuries after the fact. Yep. Uh, just that's the only thing in terms of why I didn't think it was a bigger deal with Muzzin until they put him on the LTIR and until, yeah, it starts to come out from the team that it is more significant. Yeah. I would just say what, like to reiterate that's I'm not, obviously I'm concerned about the concussion and and Mm -hmm. his history and how long he's missed. But to me, add all those things up and the the wonky back where it just feels like if you've got a bad back, you're not like you, you can't do anything in the sport. Um, let alone, you know, be able to skate. Like it's, it's, that's problematic. And I think of real concern for the Leafs. Okay. So last thing, and I'll close it on the main topic of our discussion. Do you think that Dubas would ever fire Keith in season? Like, what do you think it would actually have to take? Uh, I can't even answer that. I would say the wheels would have to fall off. This team is in a 15 to 20 game rut where they look like they can't get, get it together at all that it would need to be something really significant because I think last year and and the start that we mentioned and, and I, you know, it's interesting because you're there and you feel it and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not, so I'm doing it from afar, but I'm looking at it and I'm going, are fans really that more agitated this year than they were in the past? Like, have they, is this really the earliest that they've been booed? Like I just just don't feel like that's the case, but you're there. So I don't know, but I would say it would take a solid quarter of a season where this team just absolutely can't get it together 
before you'd even be thinking about something like that. Yeah. I would just think that if like, it's like, if you're okay, if you're feeling the pressure, it's like, what, what does that amount to? Right? Like what, what is the pressure you're feeling then? Like, is it just mm -hmm. the success of your group? Is it making sure that you get off to a good start? Is it that you just actually do feel the pressure of the media and that you don't want them speaking about you in a certain way? Cause like, that's actually a doomsday scenario because you really shouldn't care. Like it should be pretty much beneath you, even though, yeah, like uh, I think all of us, uh, at times be like, well, I'd never read the comments. I'm a tough guy. And then 10 minutes later, be like, the comments, they were so mean. I feel so sad about this. Got it just, yeah. It just catches you one time, one different way. And it does, it does affect you. So like, maybe I shouldn't put it past them, but I just think that, yeah, like ultimately it's like, okay, why do you feel the pressure? Why do we all feel the pressure? Well, it's for our job security. Like that's our number one thing. And so like, if we do agree that these guys like feel it, and because I've even seen the same things about Bruce Boudreaux, right? Where, hey, we don't even know if, like... It's, Everyone's feeling it. That's what I'm saying. If, if we're sure that he could last a season where they don't take a step forward, I would have to imagine that a guy whose job was in question all last offseason, um, if his group got off to... Because, like, the scenario I outlined a couple of days ago was, what happens if, you know, we're 10 games in and the Leafs are 5-5? Five and five? Like, they're still 500. Like, what does it start to amplify? Does it start to get bigger? Like, at what point does the noise get really, really loud with this. And yeah, I think that with what he said, with him apologizing to that core, um, maybe it was read too much into regardless. It really does show you how ramped up this, this fan base is and how open they would be to, yeah, changes um, and him being one of them. Well, the expectations are high. And yeah. with that is, is all that pressure that we just talked about. Yeah, Frank, you're fired up today. I wasn't hey, look, I got to tell you, J.D., yeah. like, you got the biggest ladle in the league because you have stirred the pot in an impressive way today. What? What did I do? I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just... No, I'm just the conversation. It's, it's, yeah. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, listen, that's, Love it. I, I don't mind. I don't want really to mix it up. I just listen. All I want to do is talk about what fans are talking about. Like, that's it. And I know hey, this is what's going on. I think you've hit it right on the head. Yeah. Uh, Frank Cervelli, again, uh, one of the best. Thanks for making time today, buddy. That was really fun. J J.D., have a good one. You too, pal. Uh, Frank Cervelli. Hot. Hot segment. Well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> it just caught me off guard. Frank's not usually that fired up. I love that. Uh, let's take a break. I, again, before we do, before we take a break, I'm just going to finish with a closing thought on it. Like, I don't care that the Leafs are 2-2. Two and two. I think that the Leafs are going to be fine. Like Frank said, this is a team that has proven over and over and over again that they are awesome in the regular season. And they are in such a horrific spot right now from this standpoint Everything they do in the regular season, fans are going to go, well, you're supposed to do that anyway. Yet if they trip up in the regular season, people are going to be extremely harsh on them. I just don't think that that's the fan's fault. Like, that's what happens when you do the same thing over and over again. People start to get frustrated and people start to get pissed off. And I still, I still believe, even after talking to Frank, that... Sheldon Keefe having to walk back comments to his star players four games in publicly to the media, feeling as though he needs to do that is a reflection of the import that Keefe has put on times on media conversations around his team. So they're affecting somebody and maybe it's him. If you remember the 24 seven series, the Amazon one, it's not 24 seven. That's the HBO, but the Amazon series, how does it begin? The series begins because the first game of the season, Sheldon Keefe goes to Kyle Dubas and is upset about the way one of the players portrayed the loss to the media. We have that documentation. Like, we have seen that behind closed doors. 
That got out, and that is public. So we know this guy cares about the way that things are presented to the media. Maybe his group doesn't. Maybe it is Sheldon Keefe. That's, I guess, the only place that I've potentially changed is that he's not doing it for his team. He's doing it for himself because he's bothered by this. But either way, it's showing that there's some fragility to the Toronto Maple Leafs dressing room right now. And it might be their coach. It might be their players. But somebody's shook up by this. And somebody doesn't like it when their comments are made that are critical of this team. And that's alarming. That's alarming in any relationship of significance. Quick break. What do we miss? Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. Hot day. Let's cool down before we leave. Some of the stories that we missed. Pete Walker, Joe Bosch. What would you like to discuss today, fellas? Well, J.D., uh... On another podcast, Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. uh, was on his brother Jason Kelsey's podcast. Yeah. Um, and as we know, uh, Kelsey recently restructured his deal with the Chiefs. Mm. And uh, that has opened up talks uh, regarding the OBJ sweepstakes. Mm. And I'm curious, uh, should I even be calling these sweepstakes? Mm. Yeah, you should. Because it's still Odell. And maybe, just maybe he can still make an impact. I will say that the the whole name brand thing in football, it does fall off really quick, right? Even Joe, you know this because you're a Saints fan. Like how are Saints fans reacting to Tyron Matthew right now? Poorly. Not really so stoked on the Honey Badger. But everybody knows who he is. And when the Saints first got him on a loaded defense, people went, wow, man, Honey Badger. Um, Look at A.J. Green how fast and how precipitously that fell off. Um, I'm trying to think about like, yeah, Jarvis Landry, you know, goes to the Saints. That hasn't been a success. That hasn't really done Slowly anything. Slowly happening to Michael Thomas too. Well, Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas was just hurt all the time. And, you know, he had the foot thing and like, Still I had the foot thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think that if he's healthy, that's a bit of a different story. Um, I'm having difficulty thinking about the non- uh, like Terrell Owens level, one of the greatest, you know, five, six receivers ever type of guys that has come back and found the fountain of youth. Like OBJ had a massive injury and I'm getting more, you know, Chad Johnson with the Patriots vibes than I am like Randy Moss with the Patriots vibes. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a cool name to have around. I think that if you are one of those teams with a high-powered offense as like a, a contender, why wouldn't you want to take a flyer on the guy? Like, why wouldn't you want to have him in your organization? It's still the NFL. Like, if it's not working out, you just cut him. Um, that being said, the one difference with OBJ, even though he did just win, is that we do know that he can rock the boat. Like, we do know that he can not totally get in sync and in harmony with all of his teammates. Um, he can fracture or be a little bit divisive. I wonder if that's still the case when you're not, you know, a primetime player. But if I'm the Chiefs, this the, the scarier thing of this is like, I get it if I'm the Rams, right? Because it looks bad so far. And like nobody's catching the rock other than Cooper Cup. Who is the other team? Oh, yeah, the Bills. The Bills, the Bills never really seemed all that thirsty for OBJ. It always sounded kind of like more like their players who like him, like Vaughn Miller who just won a Super Bowl with him went, hey, let's go get OBJ. Because like, yeah, why not? Why not try to advocate for your friends, right? But the Chiefs, the fact that like he's got like no relationships there and that this is a team that has not looked quite the same in terms of big play threats, if they go out and get OBJ, 
I think that's kind of damning of the whole, hey, remember when we were doing uh, Valdez Scantling is actually faster than Tyreek Hill in the open field. Like, where's all that talk? What happened to that chat? Um, good game for Juju last week, but that's been pretty underwhelming. How many people drafted Juju way too high in fantasy leagues that are like, uh, how come he doesn't see the ball more? <laughs> like, Where's Juju at? He's off of TikTok and uh, he's also off of plays. Um, they were supposed to be like a spread it around the sky more kid. Haven't noticed him at all. Like not, not aware that he's even on the team. A lot of check downs, a lot of Kelsey reliance still um, a lot of Patrick Mahomes being brilliant. But if they, if they want OBJ, that signals to me that that loss to the bills, mm, they felt that a little bit and that now they're asking star players to move money around so that they can get somebody. Hmm. It's, it's this is, smells a little desperate, you know, like just smells a, little desperate. Okay, what's next? Well, this collaboration is not quite the OBJ to the Chiefs level, but McDonald's yeah. will test out the sale of Krispy Kreme donuts. I like how it's test out. Like, hey, we uh, That's apparently what well, they're branding it as. We're just going to test it out. We'll see if this is popular. We'll see that if the people showing up for fast food will also want delicious treats. <laughs> From Krispy Kreme, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. It's not just yeah. like some unknown donut uh, shop. Hey, it's I don't Krispy need to Kreme. do the testing for this. Uh, great success, okay? Like, <laughs> this is going to be uh, a hit. Um, it's an incredible collaboration. Uh, this is actually... I, I, people get mad when, sometimes in the building when you do, like, quote-unquote free ads for places, but I don't think that McDonald's or Krispy Kreme really care about free ads. Like, they're good. <laughs> they're, I think they're, they're all right. Fine. I think they're Yeah, right. they're making money. They're doing all right. Um, Krispy Kreme, though... It's kind of one of those, like, it's not around and quite enough for a place of its caliber. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not Tim Hortons where it's on, like, every corner, right? Tim Hortons, like, you can literally throw a rock in any direction and you'll hit one. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there it is. Krispy Kreme has that little air still of, hey, it's not, it's, it's more of a treat because it's not around. And I think that maybe that gets ruined a bit by being at McDonald's. Like the allure of kind of being a little bit more of like the underground treat, like that is a fast food thing. Like Krispy Kreme always fe- felt to me like, oh wow, someone brought in Krispy Kreme. Like that hits way different than somebody bringing in the box of Timbits. No offense, Baffo, who brought in the Timbits <laughs> today, is not a shot at you. They we appreciate it, but you know that you would have got a crazy office pop if you bring in Krispy Kreme. Like that's a totally that's a high level move. A box of Krispy Kreme. Whoa, those are getting crushed immediately. Those are going to, you might do the whole like second walk by the box. Like what's in here? Oh, (laughs) Krispy Kreme donuts. Hmm. Don't mind if I do. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're probably going to have a global health crisis because (laughs) it's like five years. Like everybody's already uh, like we already have that. Like the message of the pandemic was, hey, everyone should probably eat better and exercise and be healthy because it turns out that uh, when you do those things, you have a better chance of uh, surviving uh, illness. But no, let's fire up Krispy Kremes. <laughs> so let's combine toss. McDonald's yeah. and Krispy yeah. Kreme. Dude, you know what I, oh, this is so sick. But now I'm just like someone 100% within the first day of this is going to fire up the like, put a patty between two Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, it's going to happen. I've already seen people on Twitter like, talking about how they're going to do it. Yeah. They like have like the Big Mac and then take out the middle oh, of the Big Mac. And okay, then, we got to move on. Now I feel yeah, sick. Yeah, my fault, my fault. No, I, but I, I both like, again, I have an illness. I want that Krispy Kreme donut. I love donuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, you donut guy? Not really. I like baked Timbits, goods? though. I really enjoyed those Timbits earlier today. He's saving Boffo's. back there like, you damn right, yeah. Pete. Like, yeah. say you like the Timbits. I was really appreciated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not really a big sweets guy. Oh, uh, I like me. pumpkin pie. 
Yeah, pumpkin pie yeah. is awesome. With ice cream, Hell yeah. ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I'm yeah. ice cream with pumpkin pie over whipped cream with pumpkin pie all day. I'm not yeah, a whipped cream yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Whipped cream is overrated. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anybody that's like whipped cream, grow up, all right? It's for puppies and for children, <laughs> and that's it. Or the people who do the whippets thing. That's cool, too. (laughs) That's cool. That's that's pretty badass. Uh, Yeah, I love baked goods. What's your dream collab, though, in terms of food? That is your dream collab? Well, listen... Again, we're just doing like that ad after ad. Yeah. I'm A&W over McDonald's. A&W, yeah. Yeah. Really? A&W is just like the higher class yes. version. I don't feel like as much of scumbag when mm-hmm. I go there. They have like those signs where they'll be like free range chicken. I'm like, yeah, checks out. Yeah. <laughs> Give me one of those. Yeah, that's fine. I've done no research, but you put up a picture on your wall of a free range chicken. So yeah, I'm in. No, I'm A&W guy through and through for life. I but the fries you- at McDonald's is just what keeps bringing you back. Right, and McNuggets right. too. They're untouchable. Every there's just there's no nugget like a McNugget. When they you get it hot and you get it right out of there, like drunk, like you know you mm. go out to the bar and you crush like that combo of you get a sandwich, nuggets, and the fries. No fast food chain can touch that combo. Like no one's touching that. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine Krispy Kreme on top of that? That's now? what I'm saying. That's, That's why crazy. it's just like. They're like, another one. You know, it That's is. Crazy. It's very much, it's the Golden State Warriors. It is. It's like, you know. It's we're Katie gonna, to the yeah, Golden State it Warriors. Is. It That's is the exactly Warriors. It's the perfect is. one. All right, what's next? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are expected to release their reverse retro jerseys. Joe, uh, this is your Super Bowl. I know, reverse retro 2.0. Yeah. Um, it's going to happen in about 11 minutes, apparently, uh, according to. Uh, wow, Joe. According to Joe. Sources say 11 a.m. Yeah. That's, I, that's I had what I've such a, I, uh, God, I, I can't Even though they've all been leaked, though. So I know, it's not I even can't say the joke I wanted to, but it, let's just say it involved the donuts that we just talked about, about you. About you me? Know? Yeah, but with the jerseys. Um, oh. Yeah, get it? Uh, come on, steep cut. <laughs> but, yeah, like, what, uh, what do you like about the Leafs jersey? Uh, so apparently it's going to be uh, from the 2007 era, and there's mm. versions that have been leaked with the TML patch on the jersey, but then there's some that have been released that have not. And there's been a white version and a blue version, so it's going to be from that I'm era. I'm pro TML patch. I don't know That's why the I'm haters... Saying. Yeah, I you're on TML patch. patch. Pete, you're against. Uh, if it's the blue shoulder jersey like they used to wear, the alternates on Saturday nights yeah. um, back in the Sundean era, I'm not for the TML patch. Yeah, That's what it's that. supposed to be from, that era, it, that mm. period. Yeah, yeah, but from those jerseys that they wore regularly, right? The alternates, mm-hmm. yeah. like, should just be a clean shoulder, in my opinion. Some yeah. of the jerseys, some of the retro throwbacks, uh, they tried to do too much. I get it. You're trying to be edgy and different and and really have it stand out from a different uniform. Um, it's always tough to do when you're the Leafs because if you do it too much, people are immediately out. Like, it just yeah. it doesn't operate that way. Um, there are some that I really like. There are some that are really bad. I think Columbus's is the worst jersey I've ever seen. Like, I saw that leak and I went, I, I actually don't believe this is real. Like, I'll believe it when I actually see it. It looks but, like a knockoff. No, it, it is. That's what I'm saying is you don't want to have, like, I always say Giant Tiger jersey because, like, I used to get those from my grandpa. He'd be like, yo, I got you a Leafs jersey. I'd be like, yes. And then he'd be like, it's this. And I'd go, no. <laughs> Can't wear this to hockey. This is a rip. Anyway, so uh, I'm very familiar with the GT jerseys. And those have big-time GT vibes. And shout out GT it was money in the bank, all right? Mm-hmm. There's no shout out GT. Like, love me some GT. Wish there was one by my by my house. Like, that'd be awesome. I love it. You need some flip-flops? Boom. There. You need cheap snacks? Humpty Dumpty? Shout out? There. Boom. Snacks. No, love it. Cheap pop cans? Love it. GT for life. All right, what's next? What's next? Uh, yeah, the Amazon Black Friday game yeah. um, coming out uh, 
November 2023. I like how you guys both looked at each other like, what's next? <laughs> we have 20 things on the docket. Don't what's next me like I just threw a curveball your guys' way. Yeah. What what do you got? Amazon Black Friday game? Yeah, the yeah. NFL announced there's going to be a game on Black Friday Yeah, now. I love it. Um, and I'm just curious if you think this is a conspiracy to sell more things on Amazon. Pete, I like that you call it a conspiracy where it's like, no, that's what advertising is. That's why <laughs> <laughs> it's not a conspiracy. Pete it's, discovers marketing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like, yeah, Pete, it's yeah. not a secret plan. They're not like, hmm, <laughs> like, I hope no one notices we're trying to yeah. sell more Amazon stuff. <laughs> like, that's why you put your name on things. So, no, it's not a conspiracy. Uh, I'm a little concerned, though, about Amazon's creeping presence into the world of football mm. and how I've had a long standing, like, hey, we're not ready to move all the sports into digital places. Like, I'm not just saying this because I work at a telecom. I'm not saying this is going to work at Rogers. Like, I just prefer sitting down on my TV and having, you know, cable for a long time. But now, but now, um, it's pretty easy on most of your TVs to be like, oh, yeah, there's put it on Amazon. Bing, bing, bing. Like, it's just, it's easy to flip around. Like, uh, anyway, it just feels like Amazon's going to own all the NFL, like, very soon. And Amazon's just going to own everything. Like, did you guys get your little Amazon Christmas thing in the mail? I, I have not. Yeah, is, I got man. like when you were a little kid, you used to get like uh, I can't remember who would send it, but it would be like a a big, not a flyer, a magazine. It's not a magazine either, though. It's something else. Catalog. Yeah, catalog. that's the one. There you go. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. Um, you'd get a big catalog and go pick through the catalog for your Christmas gifts, and that was a really fun time as a kid, right? You guys still had that. I don't know. You're too young. Did you have that? I, I saw the catalogs. You saw catalogs. Yeah, yeah. You guys had catalogs. All right, nice. I'm not that nice. young. Dude. Right. I'm not that You're young. close. Either way, the catalog was. Uh, was awesome that's the like as peak as, as it gets for being a kid around christmas like picking out the catalog yes yes catalog season i got an amazon one they were like yeah we're the catalog now i went that sucks that's depressing yeah i want that to be the case so it's like what amazon's just gonna own everything we're all just gonna be amazoned out sorry amazon i'm on board i'm on the train <laughs> bring me on the team like <laughs> i should i be kissing ass already because it just feels like this is the way it's going so yeah a lot of amazon stuff all right, we got to run. Uh, we got to get going here. Quick one or no? I have a quick one. What is it? Just Tom Brady comparing the NFL to military deployment. Yeah, here's my advice to athletes who do that. Don't. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's pretty quick one. You're right. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> if you're about to compare what you do to being in the military, any walk of life that is not the military. Don't do it. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> that, 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 I would say refrain. Refrain from that. Yeah, Tom Brady's... He's got a noodle brain now. It's all over for him. Like his personal life, his football team, all of it's falling apart. And now he's doing crazy things like comparing football to the military. Tough. Uh, all right. We'll see you tomorrow. Friday show with uh, Will Lou and Ariel Hawani. Catch you tomorrow. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Talk to you then.